Yo, it's Tim Malcolm, the editorial director of philliesnation.com and the host of the Phillies Nation podcast. We're back. It's been a few weeks since we've done a podcast. Uh, Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Festivus. Uh, Happy New Year to everybody. It is, uh, we're back from the holidays and there's not a lot happening in the Phillies world or there's not, not a lot happening in baseball to begin with, but we did want to come back with a podcast to kind of get you reset on the offseason. Of course, we have had a couple big moves. Carlos Santana, Tommy Hunter, Pat Neshek, both, uh, all three on the team for 2018. Still a lot of rumors being floated out there, but we are ready to kick it into January as things get going again on the hot stove. And for this podcast, we're going to bring in Matt Breen of Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Philly Daily News. He's been on the podcast before. We bring him back to talk about just what the Phillies might do in the next month or so as we continue the offseason. As you know, the Phillies Nation podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spreaker, and YouTube.com slash PhilliesNation. You can check out philliesnation.com for all of your Phillies news, rumors, information, opinion, and much more. Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. On Instagram at philliesnation underscore and on Twitter at philliesnation. Without further ado, let's start the podcast. Yo, Phillies Nation. Welcome to the Phillies Nation podcast, number 31, I believe. I don't even have my numbers with me right now, so it might be 31, it might be 32, it's one or the other. Uh, might be 32, actually. I'm Tim Malcolm. Welcome to the podcast. It is a pleasure having you along for the ride this week as we go through the offseason so far and look ahead at what might happen over the next month or so. Coming up, we'll have Matt Breen from Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Philly Daily News to talk about the offseason. I'll also talk a little bit about exactly what is happening with this Christian Yelich stuff. That'll be in a minute or two. But first, wanted to kind of end 2017. Happy New Year to everybody. We are now in 2018. Feels good. Feels good on the other side. Uh, hopefully, it'll be a good year for you and yours. However you live your life and whatever you believe in, I hope that you have a great 2018. We all believe here in the Phillies, and that's what we're here to do is talk about that team. And it's been a really weird 2017 for the Philadelphia Phillies. One of the more eventful years that the Phillies have had in some time with some peaks and some valleys. The peaks were actually some of the better peaks that we have experienced in quite some time with some awesome debuts and amazing runs at the end of the season that got us really excited for the future. We also had some valleys, and those were some of the hardest, most heartbreaking low points that we have experienced as Phillies fans. It's very different from what we experienced back in 2009, 10, 11. Uh, Those days, we, of course, experienced losses on the field. Right, 2009, we were deflated when the Phillies lost to the Yankees in the World Series. 2010, we were, I think, a little more 
I'd say angry, uh, pissed off maybe, because the Phillies lost to the San Francisco Giants, a team that I think most Phillies fans will tell you today that they were better than the Giants and they should have won that series, but they just did not win that series. And 2011, that was really just a kick in the gut. You know, the last real winning moment for the Phillies was 2011. And that series against the Cardinals, we all thought the Phillies would just walk through that series. And in game one, they came back and won that game. And that was like, yeah, okay, here we go. And then game two happened and Cliff Lee didn't hold that lead. And then game three, they had, they, they won that game and the big Francisco, uh, Ben Francisco game. And that was like, oh my God, here we go. We're going to win the series. And then, two, and then game four happened and the squirrel and then game five, which was, just a kick in the gut. An amazingly pitched game by both Roy Halladay and Chris Carpenter. And Carpenter just came out on the other end of it. Uh, and then, of course, Ryan Howard injuring himself and, and Chase Utley being out that offseason and into the next season. And then we start the new sort of run era of Phillies baseball that just ended really in the last couple of weeks with Freddie Galvis starting at second base in 2012 and Cesar Hernandez coming up and Cameron Rupp coming up and, you know, all these guys who are now part of the Phillies uh, being part of that team. Those were different losses than the ones we experienced this past year where we had, I mean, one of the most tragic moments in recent Phillies history with the death of Roy Halladay. It took us all completely by surprise uh, and and really hit us at a place that we, I don't think any of us really ever thought we'd get hit at, you know? Um, we never thought of Roy Halladay as someone who would be somewhat mortal, um, and it just happened in the blink of an eye. You know, there was no warning. There was no... You know, no no time for us to get ready for anything. It just happened, and it was pretty uh, it was pretty damaging in a way, and it was and it was shocking, and it was kind of tough to overcome for a moment. Um, you know, in the wake of that, we got a lot of great memories, and 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 we had you know this incredible service that happened in Clearwater, and and really was quite touching, but still a very big loss for the Phillies and the family, uh, the Phillies family, and and all of us fans. Um, then of course we've had, I mean, Dallas Green died earlier on in the year. Jim Bunning died. Uh, one of the Phillies Hall of Famers died this year. And then of course, Darren Dalton, who, I mean, that was shocking because he, he's a young guy. He was a young guy and, and yes, he had brain cancer and had been suffering for some time, but I don't think any of us really thought that Dalton was that close to the end. And, and apparently he was, and that was a tough moment for us. And, and it took some time and we, you know, did the thing on the field and, you know, the Phillies honored him and the way that they done in, in, in a great way. And, and, and it was, and it was cathartic. It was, it was good to get there. And it was, and it was nice to remember him and, and to, to be part of that, but still shocking, some shocking losses this year in the Phillies organization and people that we grew up rooting for and loving and, you know, other players and coaches, I mean, Green and Bunning and, and Rumba Tomorrow Sr., people who um, our parents talked about quite a bit and, 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 you know, were sort of heroes in some ways to our parents. And that's just a lot. I mean, even Miguel Alfredo Gonzalez, I mean, the, 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 the pitcher who the Phillies signed from Cuba a bunch of years ago and made it to the show in 2000, I believe, 13, uh, for a song he pitched in September. So it just, it's just crazy. Some of the things that have happened this year and, and how um, it's affected us as Phillies fans, you know, beyond that, not many other low points, 
the Phillies lost as usual early on in the season, and that was not great, and we had to get through that and write searing articles about how angry we were about the Phillies. But then the good stuff started to happen. We got Nick Williams being called up in July, and that was, or June, excuse me, and that was a cool moment where he just started to immediately hit and be comfortable at the dish, and it looked as if, okay, Nick Williams could be part of this future. And yeah, he had a really nice end of the season, too, and the big three-run home run at the end of the year, uh, the last game against the Mets. Great stuff. And then you had Jorge Alfaro coming in, and he immediately showed that he had prowess at the plate, hitting over 300 with a good on-base percentage, slugging, strikeout still an issue, but really there is some hope about Jorge Alfaro. Then, of course, Reese Hoskins. And what can't you say about Reese Hoskins? It hasn't been said already. The 18 home runs out of the shoot. I mean, the guy... It took him maybe two or three games to finally get his first hit. And once he did, he just started banging them. A month of 18 home runs. Unbelievable to watch. We were going head over heels in love with this guy. And then he cooled off. September was not as strong for him. And pitchers just started to figure him out a bit. He did still get on base at a decent clip. But he struggled at the plate. Didn't hit as well. Still, there's a lot of hope for Reese Hoskins going into 2018. J.P. Crawford came in. And that was awesome. You know, one of the great moments of the year, in my opinion, of course, was because I was there, of course, uh, the game against the Mets on Labor Day. I went down to City Field, got on TV. For those of you who want to go back and look at the video, I was standing there behind Greg Murphy during one of his breaks. Pretty cool. Um, I look like an idiot, though, by the way. But that game was great because in the ninth inning, yeah, the Phillies were going to lose that game when they were down quite a few, but... I was able to get down to that first level and watch this Phillies team try to scrape out anything they could. Odubel Herrera had a great at-bat. By the way, the second half of Odubel Herrera, that's a great moment from 2008-17. But Odubel Herrera getting on, getting that base hit, the score home Freddie Galvis, and Reese Hoskins getting to the plate and nearly parking one, but just missing by a couple feet. That was awesome. That was a really awesome moment. And then that night when I got home, we found out that J.P. Crawford had been called up and played the rest of that series in New York, and the Phillies banged out this tremendous win in Crawford's first game. Um, and Crawford looked good. He played a lot of third base. He played some shortstop. He played some second base. He looked good in all positions. He got on base at a really good clip. The hitting, you know, the average is not quite there, but it's going to be there, I think. He's got a pretty good bat. It's going to show. And the power will hopefully develop in some time. This is a really good player. And the Phillies know this. They've had J.P. Crawford and Reese Hoskins representing the team in a lot of these off-season winter, you know, showings where they where they come in and, and they, you know, they do the thing for the schools or they go to the Sixers game and ring the bell and all that. They are definitely part of this team's future, and it's really fun to see that happen. And, and that was one of the great things about 2017 is you had Nick Williams, you had Alfaro, you had Hoskins, and then you had Crawford, and you could see one by one each of these guys get comfortable, develop in their own little ways, and show that each of them do belong on this team going into next season. And then along with that, you had the Odubel Herrera hot streak. You had Aaron Nola pitching lights out most of the time in the second half. You know, you had Aaron Altair having a pretty good year all the way around and seeing, okay, this guy might be something here. That's all great stuff, and that's a lot to look forward to for 2018. So while we did have a lot of sad, uh, you know, moments of sadness where we had to mourn losses that we never imagined were going to happen we also got this really amazing 2017 run in July, August, and September where we felt, okay, 
there's a future here in Philadelphia, and the youth certainly does have promise as we hope to become a contending team in the next year or two. So the rumors continue. The Phillies may or may not be interested in Christian Yelich, the outfielder for the Miami Marlins. Of course, the Marlins are in the middle of a fire sale. We're having a fire sale. They, of course, got rid of Giancarlo Stanton, trading him to the New York Yankees. And then they traded Marcelo Zuna to the St. Louis Cardinals. JP Realmuto, JT Realmuto on the block. Christian Yelich potentially on the block. Now, Yelich is a very good young player. 26 years old, just turned 26 at the beginning of December. He has had four very good full seasons in the major leagues, four and a half years total, where he's hit three, excuse me, 290 with a 369 on base percentage and 432 slugging percentage. He gets on base at a high clip. He can hit some home runs. He maxed out at 21 in 2016. He's got a pretty decent ISO. He's fast, 16 stolen bases last year, and only two caught stealing. Uh, before that, nine stolen bases in 16, 16 and 15, 21 and 14. He can get on base, get to second, get to third, and even get some runners home. He plays a good outfield. He's a center fielder who can play all three positions. He is quite limber. He is quite flexible. He is quite good at his job. Are the Phillies interested? Well, there's been a lot of rumors going back to the trade deadline where the Phillies potentially were interested in Yelich's services and were thinking about a deal that could bring Yelich to the Phillies. But nothing ever actually happened, of course, and we're still waiting to see if there will be anything that happens. Why would the Phillies be interested in Yelich? It's obvious. He's young. He's controllable. He only made $3.5 million last year. He is on that pre-arb, now arbitration contract. And... And he gets on base and he's young. I think I mentioned on base first, but I mentioned it again because it is really important to the Phillies. Last year, 369 on base percentage, which is his career average, 376 the year before that, 366 the year before that. He takes a lot of pitches. His strikeout to walk ratio last year was 1.71. He struck out 19.7% of the time, which is very good for a premier type player. He got on base through the walk 11.5% of the time. If you have a 19.7 strikeout rate and an 11.5 walk rate, that's good stuff. You are getting on base at a good amount of uh, 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 getting on base at a, at a good at a good at a good ratio while not striking out as much. That's great. Uh, His career strikeout percentage is 20.6. His career walk percentage is 10.7%. Again, really good. Two to one is really good to be at um, if you are going to be a premier player, an outfielder who's hitting near the middle of the lineup. The difference here is that the Phillies do have a couple outfielders who are sort of like Yelich in a lot of ways. Nick Williams could potentially be a Christian Yelich type player with a little bit more power but a little bit less play discipline. You have Aaron Altair, who is very much like Christian Yelich, getting on base at a good clip, um, not striking out too much, has some pretty good power, can play all three outfield positions at a high rate. And then, of course, you have Odubel Herrera. Now, to me, Odubel Herrera is very close to Christian Yelich, somewhat of a downgrade from Yelich, but not much, actually. They're very similar players, both 25 years old last season. Herrera just turned 26 in late December, so they're very close in age. But here are Herrera's numbers, which show you the difference between him and Yelich. 
2015, Herrera had a 344 on base percentage. Good, good numbers. Not quite Christian Yelich numbers, but good numbers. 2016, a 361 on base percentage. Remember in the beginning of last season when all he was doing was taking pitches and getting walks? That got him that 361 OBP, and that's right around where Yelich usually is. Last season, he took a steep decline in the on-base mark, 325. Now remember, his on-base percentage early last year was actually below 300 as he was having a lot of trouble at the plate, but that built up in the second part of the season, not so much because of walks, but because of hits. He was getting a lot of singles, of course, doubles, 42 of them last year, and his power increased, 14 home runs. Odubo Herrera's ISO, his isolated power, which measures how many extra base hits you get in the plate appearances that you have, was a 171 last year, which is way up from 134 the year before and 121 in 2015. That is a 171 ISO. Compare that to Christian Yelich. Yelich last year was a 156 ISO, the year before a 185, which is his career high. Otherwise, Yelich is around the 120s. With Yelich, you're probably going to get more power than the 120s. His power just started to come along as he hit age 24, 25. Expect something like a 150 to 160 ISO for Christian Yelich going forward. Odubo Herrera, expect something more like a 160 ISO going forward because that 171, while it's high and good, it's probably a little too high for Herrera, although his power is just coming into play now. And as we know, Herrera can hit bombs when he wants to. So these guys are pretty similar. Their ISOs are going to be around 160 or so. They're going to hit the ball for good average. Odubel Herrera is a lifetime 288 hitter. Christian Yelich, he's a lifetime 290 hitter. The difference, though, as I said, is the on-base percentage. Whereas Odubel Herrera has to rely more on the singles and the speed to get on base, Christian Yelich takes a lot of pitches and gets on base via the walk. That's the difference. The Phillies, as we know, are trending toward being a team that values on-base percentage. I said that twice when I mentioned the kind of player Yelich was. They got Carlos Santana earlier in the offseason. Santana, one of the best hitters in baseball at getting on base through the walk. Obviously, they would love to have Christian Yelich as part of that offense because, look, if you can work pitches, pitchers early in the game, make them throw five, six pitches in a plate appearance at Citizens Bank Park, they're going to be out of the game by the sixth, fifth, even fourth inning because Citizens Bank Park, as we all know, home runs can fly out of there. If you get guys on base via the walk, it just increases the amount that you can get guys home via the big three-run bomb or the two-run bomb instead of getting a solo shot, which is what the Phillies basically did the entire time between 2012 and 2016. So, Yelich? Yeah, sure. Possibility. It could happen. The problem is, is that the Marlins would want something really good for Christian Yelich. They don't have to sell him short. Yelich, again, is making only pre-arb to arb money, so we're looking at maybe five, six million next season. That is chump change for Christian Yelich. He's under team control for another couple seasons. So the Phillies would have to pony up some really good prospects. We're talking about potentially one of Sixto Sanchez or Scott Kingery. Can the Phillies get away with dealing three or four second-tier prospects for Yelich? I think so. The The Marlins would really want to get some depth here in any sort of deal, but it's got to be good depth. We're talking about two or three pitchers who are very close to the major leagues. Franklin Quilome, Adonis Medina, Sir Anthony Dominguez, Jojo Romero. Those guys would definitely be in the Marlins' interest. The Marlins would also want some sort of outfielder who's maybe major league ready or close to it, or maybe a good middle infielder who's major league ready or close to it. That's where Kingery comes into play. Again, if I'm the Phillies, I try not to deal Kingery, but 
if they can get away with dealing the Marlins, I don't know. Is Dylan Cousins good enough of a prospect? Is Roman Quinn good enough of a prospect? I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's true. So that's the problem. The Phillies would love to have one guy who can play center field or right field somewhere in that double-A, triple-A realm who's really good and you know he's going to make the majors at some level. The Marlins would want that kind of player. The Phillies don't quite have that guy. Maybe Cousins, but there's more to say that Cousins is more of a triple-A, quad-A type guy who strikes out way too much and cannot hit same-handed pitching. Roman Quinn, injuries, 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 injuries. Can't stay on the field for more than two months. Plus, his speed is his only real asset. Yeah, he can hit with the contact that showed when he was in the majors for a cup of coffee. But if he gets hurt or has any sort of, of 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 weakness as far as you know leg injuries, knee injuries, anything like that, that even if they're day to day things, that speed is totally out of the question. He's got very little value, if no value at all, at that point. So why would the Marlins take any gambles on someone like a Roman Quinn, who is really about the speed more than anything else? If I'm the Marlins, I am holding out to a team that will give me a premier-type outfielder or middle infielder who's close to the major league level. Now, it's possible that the Phillies could do an Odubel Herrera for Christian Yelich, but they're very similar players. Why would the Marlins de- Why would the Marlins get Odubel Herrera? Now, you won't get a lot more in prospect value if you're going to have Odubel Herrera in this deal. So again, if I'm the Marlins, I don't necessarily want that. I want someone who's a little bit more unproven so I can get more prospect value on the back end. So what could happen? I think the only real deal that makes sense for the Phillies is if maybe Nick Williams was headlining a deal. He's not a sure thing yet. He's making very few money. A very very few money. He's making a little bit of money. So the Marlins might say, hey, Nick Williams is great. We'd like to have him. But you need to add on two or three prospects. We're talking Medina. We're talking Kilame. We're talking Dominguez. Someone like that two or three of those guys. So that could happen. Nick Williams plus prospects. That's probably the best possibility for a deal. But is it much of an upgrade for the Phillies? A little bit. They'd have more on-base potential. But the point is, are the Phillies going to try to make more of an outfield headache for themselves? Are they going to want to trade an outfielder for an outfielder and still have four outfielders at the major league level? I'm not sure if that's a good idea for the Phillies. The point is, while the Phillies might be interested in Christian Yelich, I think a lot of it is talk and a lot of it is bluster. And they really do have what they want in Odubel Herrera, Nick Williams, and for now, Aaron Altair. And Reese Hoskins is in left field. So they're going to figure out those four guys, put together some sort of outfield configuration between them going into next season. And then, after next season, then if they want to make their big splash with Bryce Harper or someone like that, that is going to happen. All right, now I want to bring in Matt Breen of Philly.com, the Philly Daily News and Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, to talk about the offseason so far and what the Phillies have done. They've done a little bit, but obviously it's been a very slow offseason for all of Major League Baseball. Uh, Matt, welcome to the podcast again. Hey, thanks for having me, Tim. Uh, happy to be here. So, uh, first off, happy holidays to you. I know we're recording this during the holidays, so happy holidays. Happy holidays, happy new year. Uh, and so, how... Uh, how how is it going? I mean, there hasn't been any news breaking out lately. It's been really slow. I mean, you've been covering the Phillies for a couple of years now. It, it, this is, this seems like a really weird off season, to me at least. Well, I guess I mean, nothing news like within the last week or so. But you know, the Carlos Santana signing was, you know, the three years 
that I, the three all seasons I've covered the team, that was probably the biggest, um, unless I'm forgetting something, but, you know, the, the biggest signing they've made. So no, no, there's only been three moves really in essence, but I mean, the one signing is, you know, their biggest signing in a few years. So I guess it, it's different in that way that they, they've made a big splash for the first time in a while. Were you expecting the Carlos Santana thing to happen or at least anything of that level? Did you did you guys at all, any of, any of the writers, think that the Phils would go out and make some sort of a free agent splash this year? Maybe they'd make a splash, but not I – didn't, I didn't think they'd sign a first baseman. And um, I thought maybe they, they would they, – we knew they would definitely go after a pitcher. You know, they still need to get a starting pitcher, I, I think, before spring training. And I thought that would have been the move to make, but not a not a Jake Arrieta starting pitcher, but somebody maybe on the free agent market on a short term deal. But the Carlos Santana's deal for me personally definitely was a, a surprise, but but I think it was the right move to make. I think you know when you you know when you think about it, um, like I said, I didn't think they would sign a first baseman, but it kind of makes sense. You shore up first base now and and left field. Reese Hoskins, you can, you can assume he's a sure thing. I, I think he is. So now you shore up left field as well and if you move you know you know you have three outfielders for two positions m- most likely one of them will be moved i would guess you know to get a starting pitcher before spring training but if not you you have three guys to find out who what they are and if any if those three uh pieces moving forward right in center field so I lost in this. I mean, I know it seems like a foregone conclusion, but lost in this is Tommy Joseph at first base because he's still on the roster. Um, do you think that it's going to be like spring training or around then that the Phillies decide to cut bait with him, or does he somehow stay on the on the organization somehow? And maybe even does he have any options left? I don't even know. Like, what is there anything they could do with him, or are they just going to cut bait with him at some point pretty soon? He could go to AAA, but I, I would. I would guess they would cut him before spring training. I, yeah. I don't expect him to to be on the opening day roster. And you know, like you said, I would I think it's maybe let him go and see if he can latch on somewhere else and give him a chance to to make make a, make a club out of camp. It seems it seems kind of crazy just thinking about how he he was the the team leader in home runs, or if not close to that, uh, last year, and now he's just you know we're gonna, we're going to let him go, which is I mean. The numbers obviously are far beyond the home runs and the RBI and all that. We all know that, but but it's just funny to see like how that has changed so quickly. Um, so as far as Santana, so you said you think it's a good move and it's and it's and it makes sense. Um, you know, a lot of people are still sort of like we're not sure why, um, but sort of a, from a philosophical standpoint, uh, looking at the Phillies from a sort of a, a broader view, how does Santana's signing make sense for this team as far as? wanting to contend now and into the future, you know, what does Santana do to this team right now? Well, I think right now in 2018, I mean, you you got a guy that gets on base, can hit for power. Um, everything we hear is that he's, you know, a really good uh, person for the clubhouse. So, you know, a good team leader to have. And I think he just fits that mold of, you know, high on base percentage, low strikeout rate, high walk rate. Um, and then put add power on top of that and I think that's you know the kind of guy that this front office really wants to have and then but you know going forward more importantly I think is that you need to make a move this offseason to show yourself next next offseason the free agents that a you're for real and b there there's more here than just 
you know, some prospects that, that look like they're going to be good. You know, there's, there's somebody that, there's a name. There's Carlos Santana who can attract a Bryce Harper or a Manny Machado that, you know, someone they know. It's not just, um, coming to Philly to play with J.P. Crawford, Scott King, and Reese Hoskins who look like they're going to be good. I know Carlos Santana, you know, I know that guy's a, you know, a star player. So I, I want to go to Philly and Philly's committed them to winning because they, they spent money last offseason. So. I'm not going to be the first guy they spend money on. So I think it just, it was as much as, as competing in 2018 as it is as, you know, attracting free agents for 2019. So, you know, putting it into context historically, I know a lot of people have compared this to sort of the Jim Tomey move back in uh, 2003, 2000, 2003, when they brought in Tomey for the 2003 season. Um, I don't know if it's quite that level because Tomey was. I mean, before that, the Phillies were very dormant, and then Tommy happened, and it was like, oh, now we spend money for the first time in decades. You know, this is the first time in five or six years. Um, but is this closer to the Tomei move in, in that sort of significance, or is it more closer to, like, something like a Danny Tartable move or, you know, a Dale Murphy move back in 1991, you know, when they bring in someone who has some pedigree and they try to boost up what is still a team searching for, you know, it's 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 its character or its its personality. Um, do you think that this is a little bit more like that, where we're still seeing a lot of things that we don't see yet and it's going to take a little bit longer, or do you think that the front office really thinks, like Tomei, we're pretty close, it's closer than people think? Yeah. No, I think it's like, um, you know, it's like the David Bell move, but stretched okay. over two off-seasons. Like David Bell, you had to sign David Bell to, you know, and then you attract Jim Tomey with David Bell. And, um, you know, David Bell didn't work out too well, but, but I, I think <laughs> Carlos Santana will work out a little bit better. But it's just in essence that I always thought that's what that move did. It, it, it attracted, it, it, it showed Tomey that the Phillies were for real. That, you know, what they were, they wanted to win and you know, they signed David Bell and, you know, a couple of weeks later they signed Jim Tomey. So I think it's, you know, it's a different, it's this offseason and the next offseason is that time difference. But, um, because I think next off season is your Jim Tomey signing. That's what, that's yeah. when, you know, when the Phillies signed Jim Tomey, baseball was back in Philly for the first time in a while. And, um, I think that's what next off season is. It's going to be, you know, a super, they're going to sign a superstar. I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty confident that that's going to happen. They're going to sign somebody that's going to, you know, steal the headlines. So Carlos Santana was, was in the news cycle for a couple of days, but it's not, Tim Tomey was like a seismic event. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, similar to, you know, what I hear with what it was like when the Phillies acquired Pete Rose. And I think that's what um, next winter is. It's going to be, you know, a big splash to get it. If it's a Bryce Harbor, Manny Machado, somebody that, that, you know, attracts those headlines and can go with these young guys. But I mean, the, Danny Tartable and Del Murphy, there were kind of, that was like just spending money to spend money. (laughs) And, uh, you know, just to get some attention. But I don't think that, I don't think that's what this was. I think this was a a signing that a guy that, you know, is really going to contribute in 18. And the only thing is it puts Hoskins to left field. But from what I saw, I think Reese Hoskins can handle left field. He told me he's going to, you know, get a ton of reps out there in spring training. and, And I think he'll be fine going forward. Yeah, I, I think you're right on that, and I think left field is, you know, of all the positions after first base, it's the easiest one to sort of get into and at least be competent at. Um, I do want to mention, though, the David Bell thing. I looked at his stats recently, and he's actually better than I thought he was. His on-base percentage was pretty good during uh, – Oh, really? I mean – We didn't know what on-base percentage was in 2003. 
No, that's true. We we saw right. like a hollow. Yeah. We saw hollow eighteen home runs. We were like, come on, dude. But, yeah, um, exactly, exactly. But here he had a good season. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. There was a really good year in there. But um, anyways, so yeah, Hoskins. So here's the thing. I I noticed this too. Just talking about Hoskins real quick. Um, in the last couple of weeks, we've noticed that Reese Hoskins and J.P. Crawford apparently live together now. Um, maybe they're bosom buddies. They're joined at the hip. I don't know what you want to call them. But these guys are just like the two guys the Phillies have hand-selected as these are our ambassadors for the offseason. They're doing all the events. They're doing the Sixers stuff. Uh, they're hanging out together. Um, what do you think that says just about what the Phillies are thinking for the future? That it's, It sounds like they're putting the franchise on these guys' backs and saying, you guys are the leaders now. Wait, are are they uh, living together? No, they're not living together. <laughs> oh, I thought, are you fooling? I was like, wait, what? I missed that. That was a joke. Um, no, but, 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 gotcha. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but they've, I, I, but they've been seen everywhere together. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that was, it was definitely, um, like, that was smart to do it that way to, to Gabe Kapler, you know, his first two guys he met were J.B. Crawford and Reese Hoskins, who are the guys that you, the Phillies would hope would be the leaders going forward. So, it was a, you know, the manager kind of got to meet them and, and make an impression on them. And then who do you put out in the front? It was the same weekend, you know, the Sixers game and the Christmas tree lighting. So you you put those guys out there because really they're two of the names that people know. Even though Crawford was only in the majors for a month, he's still, you know, one of their biggest names. And I, I just think um, with, like, uh, their Gabe, when, when the trade happens, the first guy Gabe calls is Reese Hoskins. Like, you, you want to... They, they, the Phillies identified those two as leaders, and the manager, the new manager coming into a clubhouse wants to have those guys under his wing, and and you know to have them on his side. So it's been definitely you know calculated and and smart to kind of get them in the forefront and to get them you know with the manager to 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 you know hope that you know if Gabe wants to his thing to work here, he's going to need those two guys on his side. Uh, along with Crawford, obviously being sort of this new face of the franchise in some ways. I mean, he's he's still pretty new, and I mean, only one month in the majors. But um, the Freddie Galvis trade obviously happened just before the Santana signing, and really Santana kind of engulfed the the uh, the the Galvis uh, trade. Um, now that he's gone, uh, does it seem like they're going to hold on to Cesar for a little bit longer, or? Is it still just who knows what could happen here, and if they find the right deal for Cesar, they would pull the trigger? How do you kind of assess that situation? I would I would think they're going to hold on to him um, until Scott Kingery comes up in, in May or, or so, and then either Cesar becomes your utility infielder or you know you trade Cesar Hernandez. But like you said, if I mean if somebody comes along with the deal for Cesar Hernandez, I wouldn't be you know blown away if he's, he's moved if you get the right deal. He's a guy that, um, but you want to you want a better return than what you got for Freddie Alvis. He, you know, he has um, club control left. He he gets on base, um, plays a you know decent second base, just like Freddie obviously played a premier shortstop. But I think you should get a better return than what you got for Galvis. And worst case scenario, you have Pedro Forman start second base to start the season because I mean obviously it makes sense. You want Scott Kinger at second base, but. For the long term, I think you need to, you know, think about that one extra year of free agency down the line and, and waste, you know, six weeks of the of the season with Kingery and Triple A. Um, let's turn our attention to the pitching because this is obviously what everybody's been talking about lately. Uh, so you said you think that the Phillies should get some sort of a 
second or third tier pitcher, you know, b- before spring training uh, in the free agent class. Um, what names do you think are out there that that would be most interesting to the Phils? I mean, obviously not Arietta or Darvish, but who 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 after that? It's going to be guys that that probably fall back on a one year deal, but it might end up being a trade at this point. And I think, um, you know, I know like Alex Cobb was was a name early in in spring training. I mean, in the, in the off season that was like being floated around, but obviously I don't think that's going to happen. And uh, Garrett Cole would have been a nice trade target, but now it sounds like that's not a trade that's going to happen. Um, but I just think I think they need. You know, maybe I don't know how you feel about this. I just I don't see five starters right now. That, yeah. You know, to go into the season and think that's going to be your five, or that's even going to be you know four of the five for the whole season. I think you need a you need a veteran pitcher to at least get you get you to August, and then you can turn it to you know whoever's coming up through AAA. But yeah. I, I just I'd be really surprised if your your five starting pitchers are are on the roster right now. I mean, heading into the off season, I really thought that they should get two starting pitchers uh, in the off season. One veteran who could kind of get you through into the trade deadline and and kind of you know give you quality starts, and then another who was more team controlled, young, a la Chris Archer, who I think is still my number one name, but obviously be yeah, a steep price to get. Um, but Garrett Cole would be part of that list, you know, guys like that, because uh, at this point you have Nola, and then you have nothing that is honestly, you know, uh, set in stone for the next three to five years, and you kind of want someone else in that in that rotation at this point. Um, and I, I don't know. I, I, it, it, what would it take? If, it, it, like, Archer is the name, in my opinion, that, like, would be great. And, you know, a lot of armchair GMs are trying to say, well, you could do Franco and Moniac and someone. But, what, like, realistically, what does a deal for Chris Archer look like for the films? Would it have to include Sanchez or Kingery? I think that's what um just like using the Orioles Machado trade rumor as a, a um kind of like your example and that's what they wanted. They wanted Kingery and Moniac. I mean Kingery and uh Sanchez and I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that for Chris Archer either, but but is Mickey Moniac on the table and um I, I think the only two untouchables like in the minors right now for me is Kingery and Sanchez. And uh, I just I would everybody else is 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 on the table. Moniac's on the table. Franco, you know, if somebody wanted Franco. That's obviously a possibility I would do. But but I I would have a tough time trading Sixto Sanchez with all the you know potential and the um, Pedro Martinez you know crazy um, examples that people matching them up to or, or Scott Kinger. He's just a guy that the last two years showed me he's you know no doubt about it. He's a piece going forward. Now, would you trade one of them for a Chris Archer type, or are you saying no to even that? I don't think I would. I think I would yeah. just buy, you know, looking at the off season. I don't looking ahead and who's available, or I don't know. I just, I, I would try. So, I, I mean, if if there's a you know, that's the only deal you had to do to Chris Archer, if you had to trade one of them, I guess I would think about it. But I would try to do whatever it took to avoid trading either of those guys. So what about like a like a Danny Duffy type, you know, someone who's a little bit below that level where you can maybe trade, I don't know, say a Franklin Kilame and maybe a Moniac and or, you know, a Hazley, something like that, yeah. uh, with one other guy. You know, could that work out? Would you would you do that? I definitely I see that that that's a possibility. That guy is probably more likely if he's gonna get traded, yeah. which it seems like he was at one point. 
Um, yeah, you know, but, the Royals, but the Royals are kind of weird. They they kind of want to either contend or not contend. I, I don't I don't think yeah, they still know what they want to do. Yeah, um, I would say he's a good chance that you know if he's on the t- if he's on the market, the Phillies would would be in a play for him because what you said it's the asking price is a lot lower than the um, Chris Archer price. Um, free agent pitchers, uh, you know, you said, you know, maybe someone on a one-year deal, you know, is there anybody who looks like they could be trending? I mean, it's, when I, when I said it's, when I said the offseason has been slow, I mean, for baseball, it's like, there's nothing that's really happened in the giant free yeah. agent market. So do you see any indications that there'd be someone who could slip through to the village cracks or is it too early to tell that? It's probably too early to tell, but it's, you're going to know, right? Before, like you said, it is moving really slow. And then, and I think the Phillies hope is that. The market moves slow, and it forces you know guys to sign. You know, say Jake Arrieta, for example, isn't going to get his long-term deal. So you know, he obviously wants a job for spring training. He's going to have to sign a two-year contract or something like that. You know, a guy like that where that went in the off-season expecting to get a long-term deal is now forced to sign a short-term deal, and that that works in the Phillies' favor. So I think it's it could be one of those guys that entered spring training. I mean, entered the off-season as a big name, and then next thing you know. You know, looking for a deal, and the Phillies get them. If it's a Jake Arrieta, it's not going to be Hugh Darvish, but could be somebody along those lines. And I, I wouldn't be surprised that if you know that's who they end up filling a rotation with is like an actual a name, and not just you know one year, uh, like a one year veteran, and and just to get you through. Um, turning uh, attention to the manager, Gabe Kapler. I know Mike Sielski, your uh, your uh, compadre at the Enquirer. He wrote a column about Sielski, or me, about uh, Kapler a couple of weeks ago, about how just how he's going to be different than most managers that the Phillies have had, and and people who are thinking that he's going to be like Pete McCannon or other guys are going to be sort of thrown off and how he does his thing. Um, you talked about lineup construction as one thing, and that it seems like it could be an everyday fluid thing where one day you could have Nick Williams leading off, and the next day you could have Oduble leading off, and the next day you could have Carlos Santana leading off. What do you get the sense from from Kapler as far as how he's sort of looking at lineup constructions? It's definitely going to be different, but I w- I would say your your prior leadoff guy and the second hole hitter is um would probably be set. They, they okay. would probably wouldn't change, or maybe maybe your top three wouldn't change. Definitely for him, number two is the most important. He thinks your best hitter goes at number two. So yeah. I would expect two to stay, you know, the same throughout the year. Reese Hoskins will probably bat third. Uh, I wouldn't. Ex- I would expect him not to change. So maybe leadoff hitter, you know, that's not with, you know, Duval or Hernandez. You know, whoever's batting leadoff isn't getting the job done. I could see that maybe being a daily, you know, rotation. But along with lineup construction, I think the you're going to see the um, fielding alignment change throughout the, you know, almost daily with this, you know, whoever. We don't really know what the outfield looks like right now, but I think that's going to be, you know, guys shuffling in and out um, over at second base and shortstop and third, like moving. You know, I think Crawford is still going to play a bunch of different positions because, you know, Gabe Kapler believes in this flexibility and, and guys playing different positions. And it goes right back to what you're talking about, the lineup, where, you know, believes guys can battle over the lineup and constantly. It's, I think it's going to be a constant change and shuffling, and that's what one of the things that, you know, Mike said he's not going to. Um, he's going to be different. Is, is struck me so far is that he's going to, you know, manage, you know, just the day to day operations of a team a lot differently. Where you know guys are 
batting all over the lineup, playing all different positions, and you know something. And, and guys are going in and out of the lineup as well, and you're utilizing the bench a lot more than you, know, you probably have in the past. Do you get a sense that he could be the manager that goes full committed with having five man infields sometimes, and maybe four man outfield sometimes, and you know just doing wild things that other managers have sort of tread water in, like Joe Madden obviously has done some of that stuff in the past. But do you think Gabe could be the guy who kind of takes it to the next level with fielding alignment and and maybe how pitchers are used, you know, maybe putting the pitcher in the outfield sometimes to kind of put him back in in a situation later on in the inning? Is that is that something that you could see from this guy? I don't think so. Um, I, I don't I don't know if you know he's that that crazy yet. But <laughs> I mean, maybe I don't know. I, I don't really believe in much of that stuff. I mean, maybe in like certain situations you need a fifth infielder you know, an extra innings or, you know, two outs and or, you know, the winning runs on third or something. Yeah. But uh, I don't think, he, you know, every – I just think that's kind of strange. But maybe, maybe you know, he, you know, he's a big analytics guy and, you know, really digs into the research and numbers and stuff. So, you know, if he sees something and the plays are the Phillies advantage, I'm sure he would do it. But I think, you know, starting pitchers are – probably not going to go past six innings for the most part, and they're going to play a lot of their games with their bullpen. That's why they spent so much money in the bullpen. So maybe that's a different way that, you know, he'll do it. That, you know, you might see, you know, Hector Neris coming in the seventh inning if that's, you know, a more important situation with, you know, top hitters coming up in the seventh instead of the ninth. You're going to use your closer in the seventh. So it could be stuff like that where, you know, the, the bullpen I think will be – where the, just the pitching unit as a whole is going to be um, – Utilized probably a lot different than it has also in the past. Yeah, and and finally the starting rotation. Um, obviously Nola is sort of to me it seems like he's going to be on an island in a in a way next year where he will be able to go as far as he can go and the the, the situations deem it so. Um, but beyond him, you have Thompson, you have Eichoff, you have Velasquez, you have Eflin, you have Lively, you have all these guys still, and there's only so many spots. How does this work? I mean, is it possible that he goes with like a a six man rotation where he shuffles out, you know, one guy every every five days and does that kind of flip flop thing? Is it possible that he uses a guy in the bullpen like a Jake Thompson or something who can sort of throw four or five innings uh, at will and does that more often than just a regular long man? Uh, anything that you're seeing sort of early on that could kind of come to fruition here? I think they'll have a five-man rotation, like a normal five-man rotation, just because I think it works better for these guys to to pitch on that normal day's rest. But uh, like we said, I think there's there's definitely like you're right on off those guys. There's more than five guys, but there's not really five um, yeah. bona fide starters. So I, I would assume that somebody is, if it's Jake Thompson or um, um, obviously Mark, Mark Ledger's in the bullpen, Ben Lively could go to the bullpen, and, and I think they definitely would add either a triple-A or in the major start, you know, one of those two guys in the bullpen, and that's a, you need that. You need somebody that can give you multiple innings, um, or possibly maybe their stuff works better in, in one-inning um, situation. So I think we'll definitely see some of these young starters transition in the spring to the bullpen. Yeah, like Nick Pavetta relief ace or something like that. Nick Pavetta, for what it's worth, is a guy the Phillies are super high on going yeah. into the season. So just we'll, we'll remember that. And we'll, I, I don't know how high I am, but the Phillies are. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Okay. 
Um, as far as so go so as as we kind of crawl into the new year, and I assume things will start picking up around baseball. Um, what do you most expect the Phillies to do from this point on? I mean, sounds like maybe make a trade, but if not, just a free agent signing, and maybe that's about it. Or is there anything else? That, or is there Wild West stuff that could still happen? They could make a big play for an Arietta or Darvish, or maybe make a big trade. You know that we haven't seen coming. I think they'll they'll make a trade. It's either going to be. Um, they're going to they're going to try and trade for a starting pitcher, and I'd be, I'd be like I said, I'd be shocked if we you know we go to spring training and and there's no addition to the starting rotation made before then. And I think you set yourself up with the Carlos Santana signing. You have an influx of outfielders, so now you package one of them, um, package some prospects, not like unlike the two guys that that I said I wouldn't trade, and you, and you try to get a starting pitcher with that. And I think that'll happen sometime. I would guess in January. Mm-hmm. Well, we have a couple more months, and uh, hopefully there'll be some more action. If not, whatever. We'll just we'll just see how it plays out. Uh, exactly. <laughs> that's all we can do. Uh, all right, Matt Breen uh, from Philly.com, Philly Daily News, Philadelphia Inquirer. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks a lot, Tim. Have a good day. My thanks to Matt Breen of Philly.com, the Philadelphia Inquirer, and the Philly Daily News for coming on, talking about the offseason with me. We have about a month and a half left of the offseason. Will the Phillies make any big moves? As Matt Breen said, potentially a trade. You know, he thinks that one might happen in January. What kind of pitcher? Could it be Danny Duffy, a second-tier type? Could it be someone more like Chris Archer or Garrett Cole? will be tough to get that kind of deal done. I don't know if the Phillies are going to want to give up anything premier. As Matt said, he doesn't want to give up Sixto Sanchez or Scott Kingery. I don't really want to do it either. I'd rather give up maybe one of the outfielders plus a couple prospects who are down in the double single A area. That would be fine. But who would that give you? Probably Danny Duffy more than anybody else. So if you're going into next season with an Aaron Nola, Danny Duffy, Vince Velasquez, Jared Eikhoff, and plug in somebody rotation, is that good enough? Yeah, I'm not sure if it is. <laughs> I'm not sure if it is. And hopefully the Phillies, uh, maybe the coaching will be a little bit better next year, and hopefully they can get some stuff out of Velasquez, Eikhoff, and the rest of the guys that you know none of those guys uh, had in years prior. Who knows? But yeah, look for maybe a trade in the next couple weeks. Also look for maybe one or two small signings. The rotation still needs a, another pitcher. We'll probably need someone to play outfield or infield on the bench. Uh, maybe there's another guy who's going to be brought in. But there's definitely going to be some, some things happening over the next couple weeks. So get ready. Follow us at philliesnation.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash philliesnation. Twitter at philliesnation and Instagram at philliesnation underscore Follow us there for all of the updates, the news, the opinions, the rumors, and the information about the Phillies. Phillies, Phillies, Phillies. All right. That ends the Phillies Nation podcast for this week. We will see you next time, uh, two weeks from now, unless something breaks. I'm Tim Malcolm. See you later.